0: that's never looked at the white paper, the Bitcoin white paper, it's actually intellectually fascinating. This whole mechanism of a hash rate that moves up and down based on difficulty, on how many people that, like the incentive mechanism, the fact that it has, there's no leadership behind it. It's intellectually brilliant.
1: Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the show today and doing another episode. Tell me more about mining. Like, tell me more about the whole, uh, I'm just curious because I totally forgot that you had this whole world into mining. Aren't they all trying to use, what's it called, um, Stratum version 2 that allows for like where the miners themselves have more of the votes than the mining pools on Bitcoin? Yeah, there's some of
0: that. I mean, look. Mining's interesting and it's developed a lot. I've been out of the mining game now since mid-2020. Probably made your so, head explode. What, what's that? It probably made your head explode. Well, it's a power game, right? It wasn't like so much of the you know, talking about chips. Really, it's just like, where do you get the cheapest power? And so I had this, you know, I was running close to like 100 megawatts out of Alberta, Canada, because there's, you know, that's Canada's equivalent of Texas, right? And so I'd get calls at two in the morning, a transformer blew up you know, or or this and that. I mean, it's not a fun business to run. It's really like picks and shovels. So,
1: so till today, I know that there's a scale involved and from the hardware perspective, it's always a race to get the best hardware, but is it really down to the cheapest power? Like if you could mine anywhere in the world right now, where aren't we mining and where should we be mining? Like where is, isn't the cheapest power, like free power? Like if you built your own dam,
0: well, I mean, there's a lot of places like like I think in Norway where there's a ton of renewable power. You know, it, it depends where you stand on the the ethical line. You know, oh, Charlie, if you point. want the cheapest power, you can go to like Kazakhstan <laughs> where you using coal and you can probably get it for like a penny a kilowatt hour, right? If you're feeling a little more ethical about it, you can try to hit up a wind farm in Texas. Which Texas got a ton of wind farms and pay, you know, four or five cents. But, you know... The, the, the renewables outside of hydro, like, you know, like places like Quebec or like 100% hydro, renewables not that compelling. Like we looked at solar, we looked at like flare gas, all kinds of stuff. And it's like, okay, if the margin state becomes slim and you just don't know what your margins are going to be because it's based on the Bitcoin price, the best bet for is always like if you can do hydro, that seems to be the best place to get energy at a good price that feels ethical, Right. But I remember, like we looked at stuff. We actually, when I was running Hut 8, we looked at stuff. You know, mines being, you know, coal mines being refurbished in places like outside Chicago, inside Detroit, places like that. We were approached by Venezuela. I'll tell you a funny story. So the the, the closing dinner we did after, so when we we raised the money for for Hade, uh, we raised in total about 110 mil. And we decided to do the closing dinner in Cuba, in Havana, and we go out. And we're 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 partying, we're drinking like mojitos, and we're having fun. And a guy comes up from the table next to us, and he introduces him. We start talking. We realize it's Fidel Castro's son. Oh my god! And he's mining like Litecoin and Bitcoin Gold and a bunch of stuff. This is in a country that has rolling blackouts because they don't have enough electricity. But because he was like quasi royalty, he had like a bunch of like you know mining equipment set up in his backyard.
1: What a crazy story. Oh my God! You meet so many people like that too. I met the. I actually. I'm gonna stop myself because I don't want to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, <sighs> um, but you do meet. You do meet a lot of. You know, the business does attract some of the smartest people in the world, because not only is it inte- like for anybody that's never looked at the white paper, the Bitcoin white paper, it's actually intellectually fascinating. This whole mechanism of a hash rate that moves up and down based on difficulty, on how many people that, like the incentive mechanism, the fact that it has, there's no leadership behind it, it's intellectually brilliant. And the people that are attracted to this sector are like all kinds of maniacs and geniuses and, and doofuses.
1: Well, because you have to understand from someone who was, I was the, the kid, anarcho capitalist, studying economics. And this goes back to like how I define Bitcoin versus crypto and that path to decentralization is that when I really understood what it really attracted to me was that like I am was sitting on a white paper it was 11 pages. I printed it out and I was right. sitting on like what I saw as like an invention of the world. This guy who disappeared fucking solved the Byzantine General's problem, that if you talk to anyone in computing, in in computing pre-2001, they will tell you, hell, pre-2008, they will tell you that the Byzantine General's problem and the problem of distributed decentralized computing was never solved. They never can solve that. And it fundamentally allowed for us to have this like money out there that As long as every participant, these miners, and these node operators want the integrity of the system to to maintain its integrity, they want the system to maintain its integrity, it won't fail and the system won't give power to one person over another because that would make the whole system fail. So you don't give power to one person over another because the system itself is the centralized power. It's really a beautiful thing because money and data can't be reversed Someone asked me to explain to them why this was so important. And, you know, and this will help people to explain. Imagine like several divisions of the Byzantine army camped outside an enemy city. Each division is commanded by its own general, and the generals can only communicate by messenger. The armies have to decide on a common plan of action, either attack the city together or retreat. So for a successful operation, all the loyal generals have to decide on the same exact plan of action. If a small number of generals that are traitorous, they can cause the general to adopt a bad plan and they can have some generals do bad plans and everything. And so the challenge is that some of the generals can be fake, can have fake data, they can be traitors, they can be trying to confuse the other people. So without a reliable way to verify messages from one person to the next, you don't know at one point along the way the chain was broken. And when Satoshi figured that out by incentivizing these people, it's like having a separate entity that's there that's tasked with like maintaining the integrity of the chain.
0: Right. It's quite it's quite brilliant. And the Bitcoin community probably also were you the first person to be arrested in this sort of Bitcoin think, thing? Or was was this was the Silk Road? Yeah, Silk Road,
1: the Ross guy Ross from Silk Road was the first guy arrested. Like right. I was arrested a couple of months later. So and were you first. like
0: running a little bit scared at that time? In terms of like, I could. I mean, we, you and I, have never really talked about it, but like, I think like you're the entire Bitcoin community is somewhat indebted to because at the time you were only trading Bitcoin, nothing else. At the time
1: expected. we were only trading Bitcoin, but Instant shut down around the time of Ross's arrest, just because around that same time there was a government thing that came out that said that all crypto, all Bitcoin companies now that are doing Bitcoin business are like money transmitters and need these licenses and they can go to jail. And that changed everything overnight. So we shut down the company and I was arrested a couple of months later. Up until my arrest, Bitcoin companies didn't see themselves as like money. So they didn't, a lot of them didn't require ID. They didn't, you know, any of that. So it was a very different world. The day I got arrested, all these exchanges started requiring ID to continue trading. And that, fundamentally changed how bitcoin was run
0: right i guess all the know your client kyc anti-money learning all that stuff right oh yeah um changes everything which is now standard amongst not just bitcoin but anything you want to trade anywhere
1: So again, like when I look at blockchains today and part of my job in, in this fund is like looking at all the inbound projects that are launching. It's like I look at their decentralization number. What do they care about? Are the technologies that they're building intending to be even decentralized? A lot of cryptos don't intend to be centralized. Don't right. int- and, and I used to put those in the non-crypto bucket, but now I put them into the crypto bucket. Because a lot of them still use some like distributed ledger technology, although they want it to be permissioned. So you can't exclude them.
0: So do you hate, do you hate staking? So for example, with ETH, because somebody can come along and say, I want to buy a billion dollars of ETH and then they have so much control?
1: I don't believe that voting should be a construct of how much money you own. And that's what staking is. The more, of, the more tokens you have, the more your vote has weight. And so if earning and saving and consuming was the only way, maybe and it was like a more fair distributed system proof of stake could work, but I'm not a anti proof of stake because I have a lot of fun playing around with distributed technology companies and projects. If you're not trying to like solve the world's money problem, then it doesn't matter if you're using proof of stake. You know? So it doesn't right. really I don't really care.
0: Yeah, cuz I agree with that. I think outside of Bitcoin, again, crypto. I think we've, I think we've aligned to say Bitcoin may not be a crypto in the traditional sense, but nobody builds anything on proof of work anymore. Like I don't, I have never no. seen a token come out on proof of work in three years, maybe longer. I think there's still like the old, you know, div- splits from Bitcoin, like Bitcoin Light and some of this stuff that still is on mining. But if you're looking to do build utility into blockchain it seems that proof-of-stake is the, the better way to go, probably the only way to go.
1: Proof-of-stake works when you have a system that constantly needs updating and upgrading. I will concede and, and agree with that because Satoshi didn't foresee one aspect was that developers in Bitcoin themselves would garner enough power to prevent changes and updates that will allow for more development and things to be built on Bitcoin. And I think Satoshi by naming some specific people in the white paper, and those people starting Bitcoin companies and then being developers themselves coming into Bitcoin later on, not in the early days, but they showed up later and now are preventing Bitcoin from growing. Satoshi didn't see that happening. And that's what is preventing from Bitcoin from growing. Whereas in proof of stake, you can put out a proposal for an upgrade and it gets voted on by all the people involved. And so I love that. I agree with you there. Yeah.
0: I also think there's a form of alignment that if you're trying to control a a staking network, you have to invest so much money that if you try then to compromise it, you're really just hurting yourself, right? So somebody comes in and buys 51% of the, the Ethereum network, at that point, the system just collapses on itself, and you've spent billions yeah. on something that's worthless.
1: You're right, and at the same time, driving up the the price to a point because right. there's just a finite amount of these things that are on the market, right? So, so you're, there's definitely like it's war gaming. It's like economic war gaming. That's literally what this is. It's like everything is an e- economic war game. It's hard to make definitions. Maximalism is bad. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you running a
0: staking company, so tokens.com, we we do a lot of staking. It's way easier than running a Bitcoin miner.
1: I can't even imagine.
0: <laughs> I don't have to, have to deal with transformers or any of this stuff. It's just like the security, the rest of the stuff, employee light, capital costs. You don't have to write anything off. Like you're you're basically you buy the token. That's your capex is the token, right? It's not an ASIC machine. You know, ASIC machines have the, the useful life I'm told is down to like two, two and a half years. Because the next it. model comes out, you got to keep, you know, that's a real battle. Like, the improvements happen so fast and quick. And if you're not on top of it, you're just going to lose your shirt.
1: Didn't But didn't, like, like the price of Bitcoin going down so much kind of, like, shake that out? Like, all the miners that were unprofitable? How are miners even profitable now? Are they just holding the Bitcoin?
0: No, I think that most of them sell the Bitcoin right away. They have to, huh. to pay for bills and then they, you know, they're, they're, they're doing other things. So here's what happens is, and it's the dumbest thing ever, but it's, you know, hey, this is the way everything works. When the price of Bitcoin was going up, like when it was in that like fifty dollars to $69,000 range, okay, back in 2021, okay. the world went fucking bananas for Bitcoin and the mining machine sales were off the charts and the prices they were charging were really, really high. Here's the thing. The delivery of those machines... Because they had to keep up in Bitmain, you know, the delivery cycle might have been, you know, four to five months at the earliest, but for a lot of people, it might have been like 12 months. So what happens is you put down the money, you order a bunch of these machines, and then you realize a few months later, prices come down, you've overpaid for the equipment, but you're stuck because you've ordered it and you've got your site ready. And so you got this thing of like resales where a lot of people didn't fulfill their, their, their final payments because you put down your deposit, you couldn't pay for the final or they got it, resold it. And so it it was bad for a lot of people. And we saw the same thing happen in 2017. And you'll see it again, because you know what, today is probably a really good time to start Bitcoin mining, because you can get equipment for relatively cheap, the price is low, I think it dropped overnight around 26k. This is a great time to start a Bitcoin mining company. However, this is probably the hardest time to find capital to do it. And to do it properly today, I mean, you don't need one or 2 million, you'd like, you want right? to be
1: you like $30, 40000000 million. Crazy. It used to be just $1 or $2 million. Andrew, I want to save this conversation for our next episode. You're going to be back on the next episode. So for the listeners, tune in. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking about this crypto versus Bitcoin debate. I'm thoroughly excited. We're doing five episodes together. So guys, we're doing a whole series. It's going to be a lot of fun, but I'll tell you more about it soon. So have a great day.